Good morning. I, uh, I've been off for a couple of weeks. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but many of you know that we've had some family tragedy going on. We're trying to reinsert into the rhythms of life. Uh, and I know that a lot of you are in similar places. But uh, today we're going to continue in our series, I Dare You. Um, the, one of the cool things about the Bible is that there's all sorts of um, stories of people who've stepped out in uh, courageous, wild ways, and for very different reasons. Um, and I, I think that we as a people, like we've, we've been uh, kind of living in fear for a really long time. Um, now, it's, it's been over a year of the COVID pandemic, and a lot of us are, we, it's time to, to get out of our shells and, and become the courageous people God's called us to be. And uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to look at Nehemiah today. Um, and a little bit of background, Nehemiah uh, takes place, uh, this, it's actually his memoir. I mean, he, he wrote the book. Um, and it, it takes place about 445 uh, B.C. Um, during the uh, reign of the Persian emperor Artaxerxes. If you're wondering who Artaxerxes is, uh, if you saw the movie The 300, his dad was the bad guy in that movie. Um, so he was the emperor of Persia. Um, his dad was Xerxes. He, Xerxes faced a, a major defeat by the Greeks um, in, at the Battle of Thermopylae um, in the uh, early four, or late, four, uh, late 5th, early 4th century um, BC. And his son, Artaxerxes, uh, is, the, is, is one of the characters in this story. He, uh, Nehemiah works for him. Um, and Nehemiah uh, is is he's he's about to make he's about to do something really really courageous. So if you uh, have your 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 phones and your iPads, you can dial in uh, your Bible app. We're going to be in Nehemiah two to start with. Uh, we also got um, Bibles in the in the pews in front of you. But let's uh, let's look at what Nehemiah does uh, in the month of Nisan. Uh, that's roughly about a month ago. It's March, April in our calendar. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine, I, Nehemiah, he's writing this, and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This can only be the sadness of the heart. And then I was very, very afraid. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why shouldn't my face, why, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Um, what's going on there is, uh, is Nehemiah's heard that Jerusalem, which he's probably never visited, I mean, he, he grew up probably in exile um, in, uh, in the 6th century BC, about 100, 150 years before this, the Jewish people, the elites of, of Jewish people, the religious leaders and, and, the, and the, the political elites, they were taken out of um, their home, Jerusalem, Israel, Judah, and they were brought to um, under exile in the kingdom of Babylon. And then about 60 years after that, Babylon was defeated by the Persians, Xerxes, and, uh, and the Persians had a little friendlier relationship with the Jews, but they uh, the, still, all these people that had left, their, their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they've never been to Jerusalem. Um, the Persians have, have allowed some Jews to go back, but a lot of have, have never done that, and Nehemiah's probably one of them. He's probably never seen uh, this home. It, it, it's been to- talked about. He's probably heard about it, uh, but he's never seen it. And then he gets a report that things are bad there, and so he goes to the king, he says this, and then the king says to him, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, 
And if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. Well, let's, uh, let's take a little bit closer look here. What's, uh, what's going on? Uh, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Nehemiah is the, the king's cupbearer. Uh, and the Persian kings, they, with every season, they would go to like a new palace. And so um, this was probably like during his time residing where Nehemiah was. And so Nehemiah would only see him about a quarter of the year. Um, and, and so it comes time, the king arrives, he gets back from where, whichever place he was, and then he's he eating, and, and, and we, it's about time to, to uh, have his wine. Uh, Nehemiah comes, Nehemiah's going to taste the wine, make sure it's not poisonous, um, because the king has lots of enemies. In fact, Artaxerxes' son, uh, his, his children all kill each other. Um, there's a lot of assassinations that go on. And so it's a very scary thing. And, and so the job of the cupbearer is very, it's like it's high up there. He's got to be very trustworthy. Um, and nevertheless, uh, Nehemiah is very afraid. Why is that? Because you're not allowed to ask things from kings in the ancient world. Uh, and he, you're, you're supposed to, he's, what he's supposed to do is show up and look happy all the time. He's supposed to tell the king everything's great. He's supposed to look to the, the emperor is supposed to look at him as like this awesome, everything's good. But he's, he's committed now. He's, he's shown that he's not good and, and he, and he makes his play. Um, he, you're not supposed to ask anything. So instead he's like, oh, king, I, how, why shouldn't I be sad? Everything's horrible in my home. And the, the gamble works. And Artaxerxes says, well, what do you want? And Nehemiah says, I want to rebuild it. I want to rebuild Jerusalem. Basically what Nehemiah is doing is he's asking for like a whole bunch of money. He's, he's going to the king and he's like, look, the walls are decimated, which is really bad. This is a time of great war in the ancient Near East. And when there's no walls around a city, marauders and enemy armies can just march through. In fact, we're going to find out later in the book that what the people in Jerusalem have been doing is they've been paying off everyone around them not to slaughter them. And yet, Nehemiah has to go before the, emperor, the biggest, most powerful emperor in the world at the time. A man not known for his mercy or kindness or anything like that. You read the, the histories, the, uh, the Xerxes and Artaxerxes and the second. Uh, they're, they're bad guys. It's called making the big ask. There's times in our lives where we have to make the big ask. So I got some examples of the big ask here. That's a tough one. Right, so I, I did this once where um, I was at Hume Lake with uh, Lloyd was, was leading our, the high school at the time and, and the high school youth group when I was here. And I went to Hume Lake and I, uh, it was very sunny and hot in the summer. And so I tried to put sunscreen on my back and I didn't ask anyone to help. And so, um, and then I went out on a paddleboard for like four hours uh, underneath the sun. And so the next day, um, I turned over and there, you could see like hands, like prints, like where I'd like smeared the, but I hadn't got the, the center of the back. And so it was just like, it was like bursting with, you know, it was like, uh, what are they, uh, blisters? Yeah, it was, bl- it was good. Great. Good. Love, love summer camp. Uh, but prom, you know, that's a big one, especially if you're not already dating. You know, she probably has her eyes on someone else. And so you really, like, you gotta get ready for that. You gotta bulk up before you make the big ask. There's another one, uh, 
the best I can give you is a 2% raise, no problem. I'll just lower the quality of my work until my pay feels fair. <laughs> Not a solid negotiating tactic. But a big ask um, is when you go before your boss and you're like, hey, it's me. I'm doing a great job, right? Pay me. Uh, for those of you who started businesses, it's uh, usually different where, you know, you're, when you're starting out, like, you need someone to, to, to invest in you, right? And so you go before people and you're like, hey, why don't you just give me a million bucks so I can start a business? Ha! That's a big ask. You gotta be ready. I mean, what do you do? Like, you gotta be sweating bullets when you're doing that. It's gotta be tough. Imagine Nehemiah is feeling very similar to that. In her own congregation, uh, this is Carrie Gibson. She um, founded, she and her husband, Mike, founded Grongu. It's uh, our longtime partnership uh, in Haiti with their um, nonprofit. They, about 15 years ago, they came to the church and they were hanging out and um, they were like, hey, we're trying to adopt some kids in Haiti. Would your church just go all in behind us and like, and just, you know, devote tons of resources and time and energy and go down to Haiti? That was a big ask. And the results are crazy. I mean, Doug and Monica have been down there probably 10, 15 times. Gone down to Haiti during the summer. It's tough right now because of the political instability. But I mean, that was a big thing. She came in and she was like, hey, I know you have a small church, um, but would you just fund all of our stuff for me? The payoff has been amazing. But man, that was a big ask. The courage that Nehemiah has is he has the courage to go before somebody who he doesn't know is going to be favorable at all, and he makes the big ask. It's a big dare. And for all of us, at some point in our life, we've had to make big asks. The question is, how did Nehemiah get there? How did he get to the point where he was ready to go before Artaxerxes and make a play? How did he screw his courage to the sticking post and then get there? Let's look. The words of Nehemiah, this very beginning of Nehemiah, we're back to the beginning. We went to the second chapter, now we're in the first. The, uh, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Shizlev, that's uh, November, December. So um, he starts this, uh, the, uh, the book starts in November, December, ends in, in or the, his ass comes in March to April. So there's about like a four to five month like, uh, time frame be, between the point where Nehemiah's ready to do it and does it. Uh, one of my brothers, Hanani, this is probably a bro- blood brother of his, not like a, not a Jewish brother, but like his actual brother, uh, came with certain men from Judah, that's uh, the area where Jerusalem is, and I asked them about the Jews that survived, those who had escaped the captivity, and about Jerusalem. These are the people, the descendants of the people who stayed in Jerusalem, and sometimes some of the people who, who came back to Jerusalem after the exile, and, and they replied, the survivors there in the province who escaped captivity are in great trouble and shame. The shame, of course, we're going to find out comes from the fact that they're paying protection money. They're being extorted. And they're still being killed. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been destroyed by fire. How does Nehemiah respond? When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Tragedy strikes. Immediately, Nehemiah fasts. That's what Jewish people do. Christians do the opposite. Uh, we do not fast when tragedy strikes. I know this because tragedy has struck my family. Um, and so, uh, yeah, about th- uh, three weeks ago today, or I think it's 
kind of been a blur, but uh, my father took a fall, uh, cracked his skull, um, has a traumatic brain injury, um, and he's unresponsive and, st- and will remain so probably for several more months um, at the least. Um, and when that happened, of course, we were like all just, ah, what do we do? Um, but the people of the church, you people, you were like, well, we know what you need to do. You need to eat a lot of chocolate. And so you all have sent chocolate and other very, you're trying to give me diabetes, which I appreciate. That's very kind. Uh, I've got two cheesecakes in my fridge right now. Um, <laughs> maybe three at this point. I don't know. Uh, Janelle made um, cookie dough brownies where it's brownies, but then the brownies aren't enough. So she slathered chocolate chip cookie dough over them. I mean, Wow. Uh, let's see, what else? There's been cookies. Um, the only people who care about our health in this entire congregation are uh, Eric and Phyllis, who sent us an edible arrangement of fruit. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was like, ah, oh, someone's not trying to kill me. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the Jewish people, they fast. We, we feast, I guess. Um, oh, also thanks to my friend Carrie, who she sent um, vegetable soup. Like, it was very, very, com- it was like a comfort uh, food thing. It was very, very nice. Um, so I ate that. But I've eaten all of it. I mean, I'm not saying I have re- refrained. I haven't. Um, but when tragedy strikes, you know, it's a crazy thing. I've got a picture here uh, from the night when my dad was in the hospital. That's uh, on the right there. My, that's when he had the tube in, and it's Aaron praying over him. Um, then for me, what was weird is, I mean, I was in kind of a state of shock, and then last Thursday, I think, um, you could see Piper there, our 3.5-pound chihuahua. Soren, uh, he, had, he got like a, a toy phone from his sisters, and he likes to go f- take fake pictures. And so this is him photographing the dog. Um, I had the bright idea of sending the dog to my mom because, you know, she's alone right now. Um, and then the dog got sick, and then we took her to the vet a couple times, and kidney failure, and now the dog is dead. Um, when we took uh, Piper to the vet um, to put her down, that was when I just... <sighs> That was when it all just, you know, hit. I mean, Erin had her wrapped up in this blanket, and, you know, I was just, I was looking in her eyes, and she doesn't know what's going on, but I know I'm losing her forever. And uh, it was a, I don't know, it was a very strange thing where, I mean, I had kind of had like a mini nervous breakdown. I just cried, and for the next three days, I just slept. Um, When tragedy strikes, um, especially with close family and, you know, pets and those types of things, uh, you, you find out very quickly how deep um, you can hurt and how deeply you can feel. Um, the updates are all good with my dad, uh, and I do appreciate all of your concern and prayers. Like, it's so, it's amazing. But, you know, we have to be realistic about the fact that he might never be himself again, you know? 
And so this is this really natural thing for us when, when people, you know, for all of you who've lost loved ones and for all of you who've been through those types of tragedies, uh, you know, very, it's like the depths of your, of your feeling and your hurt are very, it, it, they're almost, it's almost interminable, like how deep um, the pain can go um, because you're so deeply connected. What's interesting is that Nehemiah doesn't know the people for whom he's feeling this deep, overwhelming hurt. It's not his family. It's not uh, his friends. It's, it's none of that. It's, it's, it's people he's never met and never probably in his mind will ever meet. And yet, he, he, he knows that God cares about Jerusalem. He knows that God cares about God's people. And so, as a result, because Nehemiah is so in tune with what God cares about, when he sees something that is going to break God's heart, his heart breaks. Next thing in your note sheets, Nehemiah dares to hurt big. You see, you don't have to hurt like this. Okay? You don't. You, it's a choice we make. It's a, it's a part of a sensitization of our hearts to the things that God cares about. When you make that choice, when you decide to care deeply about what God cares about, you are inviting heartbreak. You are inviting hurt. Because when you see the world the way God sees the world, and you start realizing there's things out there like sex trafficking, like orphans, when you see that stuff and you open your heart to it, it starts to really be painful. But the pain is only for a season. If you're willing to take that dare, if you're willing to to open up that way, you, you begin a process that Nehemiah started, where he begins by fasting and weeping, because he sees and hears things that he knows God, God's heart is breaking over. And so his heart breaks. But then what's the next step? What does he do then? So he, he fasts, he prays, he, he fasts and, and cries, he mourns, he, and then what? He prays. Look at this. I said, oh, Yahweh, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Steadfast love is uh, chesed. Chesed. Too dry. Got to have a wet mouth to really get Hebrew out. Um, it's that committed, like, never give up. I love you and I'm not stopping. Covenant is when God says, I am for you and I will never stop being for you. He says, God, that's who you are. Well, let your ear be attentive. Listen to me, O oh God. Look at me, O oh God. Hear the prayer of your servant, I pray. Day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my family have sinned. God, listen to me. I know we messed up. We messed up bad. It's been 100, 150 years, and we did the wrong. I admit that. We offended you deeply, failing to keep the commandments, the statutes, and the ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember what you said. Remember what you commanded, Moses. If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the farthest skies, no matter how far they go, I'll gather them 
and bring them to the place at which I've chosen to establish my name. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy, uh, where God makes this uh, promise to Moses. He says, look, here's the deal. You guys get Israel, but if you walk away from me, I will smash you. I will scatter you. They, they did very quickly. God was super forbearing. God didn't do it for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And finally, he said, that's it. You're gone. And Nehemiah says, they're your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Oh, Lord, listen to me. Listen to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And now the big ask, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. At the time, I was cupbearer to the king. No big asks should ever be made unless your heart has been broken and you've given it to God in prayer. Think about the logic, the way Nehemiah works God, right? He's like, God, here's some true things about you. Nehemiah's done his homework. He knows the scriptures. He knows who God is. He says, God, I know you're like this. I know that you're the king of heaven. I know that you're faithful and loving. You're committed. You don't quit on us. I know those things about you. Moreover, I know the promises you made. You said if we ever do get, offend you so badly that you would do this, but you also promised, you also promised to bring us back. And so I'm, I'm, pray, I'm asking God, please hear me, listen to me. Uh, the logic there, you know, it's uh, God's very busy, right? God's the king of heaven. He's superintending all the affairs of the world. And so for when we're praying, uh, uh, the Jewish people, when, when they pray, they immediately like, hey, hey, I know you're busy. I know there's a lot going on, but I need you to listen to me right now, okay? My heart is destroyed. Everything is falling apart, and I need you to act. Please stop what you're doing and look at me. Now, of course, God sees everything, and, and there, there's, there's something metaphorical about that. It's not as though God's ever too busy to hear something. God's God. But as human beings, um, the way that we we're taught to pray is we're taught to pray from a place of, of loss, a place of deep emotive experience, and to cry out, especially when we need something bad. He adores God, tells God, this is what you're like. He confesses, right? Uh, God, we've done bad things, I admit it. He skips over the Thanksgiving part. Uh, we, we in our church, we do the Acts-type prayer. So when Doug prays, um, usually he does the pastoral prayer. He, he's very intentional. He, he starts out by adoring God. He says, God, you're amazing, and I love you, and here's some great things about you. Then he confesses on our behalf. He says, God, we've done some bad things. We're, we're sorry. And then he typically says, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And then at the very end, almost as if God's been buttered up, you make the ask. The point is, is that what Nehemiah is doing is he's, he's not, this is not perfunctory prayer. This is not like, okay, you know, it's before the meal. What we do, we pray. Pray for the meal. Feels awkward sometimes in a restaurant because the atheists are looking at us, but we're going to do it because God has, you know, required it of us. It's not that prayer. It's a prayer that comes from heartbreak. It's a big prayer. It's praying big. 
It's the last thing in your note sheets. Nehemiah pray, dares to pray big. I know a lot of you have been praying for us. I know a lot of you have been praying pretty big. But when we look at Nehemiah, we see a pattern, a model of how to get to the big ask. And so I, I dare you right now, um, num- number one, I dare you, I dare you to, hurt, to hurt big. I don't know what it's going to be, uh, the next thing that's going to be a part of our community, what we're going to be invested in um, to, to bring mission to the world. And, and, and I think the, the point for Nehemiah is he wasn't uh, hurting big for like, his family like, like, like we are right now. It wasn't the people in the congregation that he was hanging out with. That's not who Nehemiah hurt for. He hurt for somebody who was out there who he didn't know, who he knew God cared about, and he was like, I am fully invested in that. And so I'm asking every one of you, I'm daring you, I'm daring me too, to look out, look around, look at what's going on in the community around us and find something you know God's heart is breaking for. And I dare you to hurt for that. I dare you to open up to that. And number two, once you've opened your heart and and, and it is, it's crushing you, I dare you to start praying big. Know who God is. Remember who he says he is in the scriptures. Tell God who he is. Confess what needs to be confessed. Thank him. Say, God, this is who you are. And right from the bottom of my heart, I am asking you, we need this. We need this. And last, you go. You go to, to me or you go to the elders or uh, the community outside or the people that you know who um, can help. And you put your hands out. And you say, I can't do this alone, but God's put it on my heart. God, I'm destroyed over this. I've seen some big asks in this congregation over the years. Big asks for time, for commitment, for money. And what's been interesting over the time that I've been with you, really from the time I've been a kid here, man, doesn't God always come through? Don't the big asks always get a yes? Sometimes not the beginning, sometimes it takes a while, the the knocking, the pounding, But when God's involved, when your heart is broken, when you've prayed big, when you ask big, God provides. So brothers and sisters, let's hurt big. Let's pray big. And let's ask big. Let's pray. Gracious God, we we thank you for all that you give. God, we believe that you've called us to dare more, to see wider, to look for the places where your heart breaks and to let our hearts break. God, I ask for the courage for all of us here that we'll dare to open up to those things, to have the same love and concern and empathy that we have 
for my dad and for Kevin and for Ryan and for the bounds to have that same heartbreak for something that is outside that your heart breaks for. Maybe Haiti again, maybe Camp Allendale again, the abused and neglected, the, the people without. God, break our hearts. And God, teach us to pray from the, from the depths of our soul to cry out to you in, in, in desire, to remember to, to, to tell you who you are, to confess our brokenness before you, to be thankful and yes, to ask, to put our hands out and say, please, God, move mightily. Bring light and faith. Bring baptism and discipleship, transformation. Bring food to those who need it. Bring recovery to those who need it. And God, we, we promise as a congregation that when we see you move mightily, we will we'll just glorify your name. We'll give all the glory to you. We know it's your power. It's your resources. That when we ask big, it's, it's you and not just the people we're asking who are doing the giving. God, give us the strength and the power of your spirit to dare. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.